Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to Soul Sisters for Billboard, guys. I'm Jesse Katz here with my co-host Dara Golub and the Duchess of Coolsville herself. That's right. We got Ricky Lee Jones on Soul Sisters today. Big day for us. Super excited for you guys to hear this episode. Uh, Ricky has a new album out called The Other Side of Desire. It's her first album of new material that she's put out in over 10 years. And she explains to us in raw honesty why it's taken that long and what's been going on with her. She lays it out on the table like you've never heard before on this show. Um, this was just a fantastic conversation, really important for everyone to hear. So let's get to it. We got Ricky Lee Jones, guys. Ricky Lee Jones on Soul Sisters. Door shut, locked in. All right, Ricky Lee Jones, welcome to Soul Sisters. Thank you. Um, so, okay. You have a new album that came out last year. Uh-huh. The Other Side of Desire. There's an amazing documentary that goes along, goes along with it, which documents the making of that album and also is a very raw looking back at your life and career through your words, which is why I say raw, uh-huh. because you speak very rawly about everything. I don't think that's a word, but I just made it a word. Candid and Candidly, honest. yeah. yeah. Um, Reflective. It's really, it, you really feel your true emotions. Mm-hmm. Like right from the get-go, yeah. too. Um, so I guess to start... You know, I think I don't know if it's the director or someone off camera asks you how you feel about having this movie being made about you. And you say, I was glad somebody was paying attention to me. Yeah. Was was that really a big part of why you agreed to do it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Right. It's been a long season of uh, not much attention or acknowledgement of my career mm-hmm. and um, just working, working, working on the road. So this was a, is a Canadian director, and I am just, for whatever reason, felt uh, at ease with her and invited her to New Orleans. She came and stayed for a few days and filmed me walking around. I didn't feel any inhibition. I put on a little makeup, but for the most part wasn't concerned with how I looked and um, thought, What's interesting about me is who I am, not how I look. How I look, too, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And if I can start from there, that in itself is an, you know, healthy and interesting, and an interesting way to see a woman in music. And uh, so my opinion about the film, and it's just my opinion, is... um, it starts out really great. I would say the first 35 minutes are very compelling. And the director chose to, um, because at some point she could have gone into some other direction or expanded it, but she stayed with the problem with the men in the band mm-hmm. and, uh, and reiterated that problem. Mm-hmm. And it was incredibly boring and... Um, and a drag, but you know it's overcome and and uh, wasn't the lasting impression for me. I didn't think of of my experience making the record, mm-hmm. but but with her returning to that theme, it was a little disappointing for me. Interesting. So you weren't involved in that process with no, her. No, you just, yeah, nothing I could do. Yeah. Was her film, and. Um, and I thought, well, you know, you started out so well, and it's a really interesting portrait. If you just let that go, you could, you know, you could deliver a, 
So I was personally disappointed, but... Um, okay, well, let's... Well, thankful for the, the interview that you gave, that, that black and white one, and was that your kitchen? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there that are is, great uh, things about it. And it's, that really yeah. threaded throughout and allowed us to feel your presence throughout as opposed to, and it did, you know, there was the counterbalance of the producer was a, a, yeah. a bit of a drag and the things like that. But we did have you and then music performances more by the end, which was really. Right. Yeah. That know, was the thing is she chose to constant to keep the film just about the making of the record. Mm-hmm. And uh, after a few concerts, you know, I, I just thought we should have the opportunity to show our better work because you've only filmed our first, <laughs> our first show, which is OK. But um, it's the beginning of things. Yeah. yeah. And and, uh, you know, every it's I, I, I'm not really a very ego based person. I'm at ease with who and what I am. But I thought we should have the chance to be seen uh, at our best yeah so it it was me accepting her decision that it's her film and and it it isn't totally her film because it's about me (laughs) but just letting it go you know so i don't mean to put a a dark flag over no that's very interesting I mean, look, it's a very particular snapshot of this moment in time where you're describing the impetus behind working on new music and making this album happen. Right. And it, it doesn't have the long distance lens on, OK, now we put out the album and we've been touring for a long time. You know, it's like really finding you in that moment. Right. So that definitely has value yes, in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes you feel very in the moment. And also for someone like me who... I heard your music on in the background throughout my whole childhood because my mother was obsessed with you and had a lot of bad breakups to your music, as she reminds me now. Um, There were a lot of specific details of your career that I didn't know or didn't remember. And watching that documentary made me ask a lot of questions that, you know, I went back and revisited all those albums and stuff. So, you know, it, it also inspires people to do that, I think, if it doesn't show it in the film itself. I'm going to shut off my phone. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Um, um, but I do want to. <laughs> <laughs> I want to mention a couple of quotes that you do say in the beginning of the film because it's such a powerful beginning. Um, I mean, right out of the gate, you're talking about how it's a it's a profound, horrible experience to be treated like you're no longer important because you don't want to fuck me anymore. I'm not important, yeah. you know, which is something that I feel like women have just in the past few years really been calling out. Um, you know, there's like this amazing Amy Schumer sketch she did called Last Fuckable Day. Did you see that? No. It was like Tina Fey yeah. and Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Patricia Arquette celebrating the last day in their career when they can be considered fuckable because they're about to turn 50, 50. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. you know. Um, so like that was amazing that that's kind of the starting chapter of that film uh-huh. and you calling that out. Yeah. Yeah, is that, I mean, when you say that you felt like you've had this kind of unrecognized part of your career, when do you feel like that began? Uh, well, I don't know. It, it's a transitional right. thing, you know, because yeah. I'm in pop music. So incrementally, as I have less publicity. Mm-hmm. Then people, you know, each new wave of a generation, let's say every four years, and then, then the next people four years later know less and less and less. So that by 1996, you have people who don't even know who I am. Mm-hmm. And 10 years before, I was the queen of girls, right? right. So, And not just that I was really popular, I was really influential. I had a big impact on what followed. Mm-hmm. So... It was a, you know, puzzlement, totally professionally, it was a puzzlement. And how, mm-hmm. is that just because I lost my, you know, Bob Regeer, who was the shape, he shaped how I was seen to mm-hmm. the public. He worked at Warner Brothers. Or is it because I lost publicists? Or is it because I've lost money? Mm-hmm. What's happened? Yeah, uh, right. That I haven't been able to keep a foothold as... Right. As a player, right? Now, some of that, and I don't know how much, you know, maybe this is just a sexist um, cop-out, but some of it happens when you're a parent Mm -hmm. because it becomes less important to be loved by, uh, you know, strangers, Mm -hmm. I guess. 
And that's true. Yeah. When you're in your 20s, you go, ah, I'm a star. But when you're 35 and you have a little kid, you go, yeah, that's fun, but I'm doing something really important. Right. You know? you know? yeah. Although it's fascinating in the film to hear you describe that from your point of view and saying, I really feel like my main thing in life ultimately was to be a mother to my daughter and then to hear your daughter describe the experience of being your daughter and you know that sometimes if she called out mom she says you wouldn't automatically respond to that because you're always in a room full of people who are you know calling you by your name i think she's making that yeah <laughs> well, I, wanted, I wanted to ask it okay. makes for a great story in yeah, the film right. you know she's been watching me do yeah. interviews a long time yeah. <laughs> she knows what no, she's she's like doing. i'm gonna mess with her now right. is your daughter a singer or is she trying to do that professionally you know I, she just, she wrote a great song and she, and we gave her such positive feedback for this song uh-huh. that she started writing a couple others. A producer had her come and she went in to record and, and for whatever reason, he said, I'm busy now. And it was devastating to her. She's. So then she said, I'm not going to sing anymore. I said, you know, maybe you just feel bad right now. And she said, yeah, Mom, tell me how I feel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Okay. Well, there's a good example of how you are Mom and not Ricky Lee Jones. (laughs) Yeah. Because she was hearing that advice from Mom. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. And it's always Mom. It's never, I just think, you know, if you knew who I was, you might listen to what I'm saying. But (laughs) So um, so I let it go, and now she's starting to, I think she's healing a little and sending some, some thoughts about it. So she does sing. She never sang in front of me until about two years ago. Oh, yeah. And, well, you know, when she was a little kid, she did. And I went, wow, you are a terrible singer. No, I didn't really have her say that. But um, she, you know, she, she was bodacious and confident. She auditioned for things and didn't get them. It didn't take much, and it doesn't take much for her to go, oh, okay, I'm not a singer like my mom. So I was really excited and happy when I found that secretly by herself she was singing and writing. Will she do it? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. But she did write an ex- exceptional that's great. Simple, exceptional song. So yeah. I hope you guys get to hear it. Yeah. Someday. I mean, how how many parts are you proud of that? And how many parts are you very nervous for her to try to break into that industry? I don't feel nervous at all. Yeah. You know, if she if it's meant to be, that's what she'll do. It takes a right. lot of chutzpah. Yeah. You gotta get a lot of calluses. Mm-hmm. It's a sexist, misogynist world and it's right. a, a and the business is that way too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, you know, it's all luck and stuff. And what kind of song did you write and will they promote? You know, so that's that's her path, not mine. But for my money, she wrote a beautiful song and sang it really beautiful. So yeah, that was an amazing moment to hear. Actually, I pulled off the road and cried. Really? Oh. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you That's feel like cool. uh, the way that it works now is with, with all the publicity? Another quote you say in the movie is... Um, like uh, what, what makes, makes a star, a star. <laughs> yeah. yeah nowadays a publicist. publicist yeah and how much do you does that do you feel that that's changed from when you first were starting totally yeah i mean i realized after the fact that my publicist had really worked hard to get me on covers and get me positioned and but so you know even though i might think it's totally i think publicists have always been a part of making a star mm-hmm. but now you can be a non-musician and be a star. Mm-hmm. That's stupid. You know, they can motivate everything about the recording, the subtle t- nuance of how you attack the note, much less the, you know. So it's all about your clothes now, your hairstyle. Right. It's very much yeah. a product right. more than an artist. Yeah. And it's interesting yeah. because part of, there was there were two equal, well, no, not equal, but you exploded in 1979 on the cover of Rolling Stone, it's Grammy winning. Everywhere. Just, <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> and you were lauded and celebrated as this musician. And also you became known for uh, iconic style. And, yeah. and you really were that kind of figure as well. And um, it's interesting hearing you refer to your music as pop. 
because of the connotation that pop has today. Mm -hmm. And I, and you even referred to your music now as pop. Yeah. So I'm curious your feeling about, because you're so deeply rooted in jazz and that's part of why, uh, you know, it feels like a return to New Orleans. It feels like you were, you know, made there. Like your music, like even, you know, Ricky yeah. Lee Jones, the first album was born out of there. I don't, you don't record any of that there though. No. It was all in LA. Right. But it feels like a return. Mm -hmm. You are so deeply rooted in jazz. So how do you, and jazz pop has always sort of been the, you know, term. So right. what is your feeling now about pop versus jazz versus pop now versus pop then? I think these names and genres are just created for marketing, right? In order to identify a, a, an audience and a sub-audience and a sub-audience so you can get their money. And the more creation of genres, the more it divides us. I'm a this, I'm not a that. I don't think any of that is true. Um, I think I first thought of the term pop when I was with Walter Becker and he was describing the singers of the 50s as pop singers, popular music singers. We call them jazz singers now, but at the time it was a pop, they were mm -hmm. a pop singer and somehow that I thought I am a pop singer. I sing popular music. It's got divided into rock or jazz, but but maybe at one time there was country and pop and classical. So if you went way back, right? Mm -hmm. But also that's what I think I am. I grew up listening to the radio in the '60s that had Bob Dylan and Louis Armstrong and the Beatles and B.J. Thomas and the Kinks and a wide variety of kinds of music that were the who that were all popular music. So that's how I think of myself. And and, and, that's and within that, there's to. a wide possibility of kinds of things you can do. Mm -hmm. So when the Grammys, when I was in that thing, I was nominated for pop and rock no, never and jazz, right? Right, because the spectrum of what where I went, you know, covered all those things easily. Now, um, because they've just made it so so specific, uh, and and they need you to decide to be in one genre so they can market it that way. Mm -hmm. But I like to think I'm part of the beginning of that. Mm -hmm. You know that I. I was a fashionable, I created my own fashion besides the wide spectrum of music, besides doing jazz ballads. I, I was a singer-songwriter. That was kind of a new thing. You still don't jazz, see... Combining jazz with the singer-songwriter? Combi combining being a singer with a singer-songwriter. You had to be one or the other. And when I did uh, the third or fourth record, I did some covers. I received harsh criticism from the L.A. Times just for doing covers <laughs> on the same record as my own music. Wow. It was like, that's not done. It was really <laughs> wow. criticized and it made me suspect. And I, yeah. I knew it would and I kept doing it. I went, I'm going to define these lines. I'm powerful enough that uh -huh. I can do it. And I actually thought I was powerful enough and could continue to do it, that I would open the door because it seemed that critics were deciding who we were and who we could be, mm -hmm. how they wrote, how they perceived. Then they were. So the singer-songwriter thing was sacrosanct. That was the highest level of the pyramid. Mm -hmm. And if we've acknowledged your right to be singer-songwriter, how dare you defile it by doing, you know, oh, uh, right <laughs> under the boardwalk, God. doing a pop, a pop hit from the '60s? Like, what is that? Right. You're fuzzing, and I was. I was making the lines fuzzy. Of course. Yes. And as I think about it now, if you were a purist, I could see your objection, you know, because now everybody, <laughs> you can do anything now, right? Everybody does their jazz cover and, right. and you can do this. So, but at the time I thought you should be able to do anything you want. It's your record. Uh-huh. And I still feel good about that. It, I understand better now why, you know, that old guard was trying to protect those lines. But it was also their ego investment in Bob Dylan, their ego investment mm -hmm. in Joni Mitchell. Man, mm -hmm. I want these things to be defined as the, as I've known them in the 60s. And don't you mess with them, right? Right. 
but I was there to mess with all of it. <laughs> That's right. Do you feel like you were able to enjoy your fame for as long as you were able to before it was taken away from you a little bit? Or did you start to struggle with it on your own? It's hard to say that because yeah. it was a constant transition. Right. So the initial fame, how exciting. Yeah. I mean... How could I? Yeah. That's like a fairy what, what, what tale. How did that manifest in those days? Because there wasn't social media and there wasn't the internet yeah, to, yeah. to buzz it amazing? around. Hard <laughs> to imagine so that. how how did it? How did you feel? I could it? tell you that I did the TV show Saturday Night Live, uh -huh. and so they see it with numbers. I don't know how they have numbers, but they go, "You sold, you know, however many you sold twenty five. You're selling twenty five thousand a day." You were selling 3200 a day. Now you're selling 20000 a day. Or, um, and, But it's also electric. You can just feel it. You could mm -hmm. feel it. Yeah. I could feel it in the air. I went, ooh, the air is buzzing. You know? <laughs> and so does I your life change? Numbers. Are you, like, all of a sudden going to the hot restaurants and clubs? I mean, did your life explode in that way also? It, you know, the way that it changed... For good or bad, because your your ego gets yeah gets sore, you know. You go to the club. You better get out of my way because I'm important, <laughs> right? right? Where's my chair? <laughs> I remember going to see Miles Davis and them giving me a table, and coming over and going, uh, "Keith Richards is here. Is it okay if he shares the table with you?" And I was like, "Whoa, Fuck that man." <laughs> And they brought him over anyway. So that's what happens when you're really Damn, famous. You're yeah. like, I am the most important Whoa, thing. That totally. Ever was, right. So And you um, were hanging with some of the cool kids before right. you got famous even too. Some of the I mean you and Waits were already a thing and you know, people knew who you were and yeah. They knew who I was from I mean from playing around and stuff. Like you you had a reputation with some of the some of the cooler artists that you would you know, you know I, what I, mean? I know those I knew those people before I yeah. made my record right. Right. in the year before. Okay. But it was probably all about the record about to be made, except okay. for Tom. Right. It was all about the record. And Chuck about Uwes to too, no? Yeah. Okay. They were kind of one and the same. Okay. Right. <laughs> You're a little triumvirate. Yeah. Of talent. Do you have after all the do you have fond memories of that year, nineteen what, oh, seventy seven, sure seventy eight? Yeah. Of of the buzz of creativity was the, were the songs just spilling out of you at that point? I and don't think about it a lot because it would be kind of uh, I'm writing an autobiography, so I'm thinking oh, wow. about it oh, wow. as terms of, in terms of how the story tells mm -hmm. what I want, to, how <laughs> I want the story to look. But I feel like I've had an extraordinary life, and that thing that happened that was so big, it's still. Uh, I guess it's still being assimilated, you know. And so even though it recedes as far as next generations, if you were there, you are always there. It never leaves. We experience time linearly, but in mm -hmm. some way I'm always there. I'm always, in, you know what I mean? So it's never over. If I don't want it to be over, I can stand in that water at any time. <laughs> That's true. It's a lonely thing. That, I think, was the main lesson for me of fame. Because when you're on the other side, boy, I wish I was rich and famous. And so then you're rich and famous and everything is exactly the same. Yeah. Know? Right. Nobody calls you. Nobody. <laughs> da, 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 da. The only difference is there's a kind of pleadingness from people to touch fame. They want to be near it as mm -hmm. if it's a magical thing, as if... You live longer if you have some of it. I've got some of it, so people will come and want to be around it. That was a good lesson to learn, that I'm not the fame. That's a thing people right. are drawn to, neither by the money. But uh, so that was that's the lesson about fame is that, and in a way it's protected me because I can be gracious, loving, uh, and maybe protected me too much uh, to th to the stranger, to the fan, and never let it in, mm -hmm. never let it inflate my ego, but also never let it 
touch the long-standing loneliness or the long-standing ha- or what happiness, whatever it is in there, it is not touched by this. Yeah. And sometimes I wish I could let it in mm-hmm. so that I could go home on some sad night and go, hey, you're really important. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I do try to say that. Be grateful. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a difficult balance, you know, to, to use it in a healthy way and not yeah. let it overtake you. I, I, Oh, you go ahead. Well, I'm just gonna ask: Do you feel like you have an inherent loneliness? Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. Your whole life? Yes, I think so. My whole life. Do you know what to attribute that to, or do you care to share what you attribute? You that know, to? I don't know. I mean, I know I was alone a lot as a little yeah. kid. Okay. Uh, I was divided <laughs> by eight years from both siblings, and my mother worked, my mm-hmm. father worked. So I think. Uh, I'm not quite sure why, and, and and maybe alone at some important years just instilled in me an aloneness, so that I continued to go through it. Right. With the with, we moved almost every year, mm-hmm. so that also contributed to the never being able to be a part of a group. Right, always being the outsider. So then even now, when people might not see me that way, I always see myself as, and I am now, you know, I'm a little different than other people I, I suspect and know, but, but I always see myself as uh, the outsider. The good part of that is that I'm content to be alone, mm-hmm. but the bad part is that even if I want to invite people in, I don't exactly know how. Right. I just invited Carla to stay for the week. She said, no, that's okay. I'll give you your privacy. I'm like, what do I have to do? To- <laughs> You're like, Come I tried. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the catch. I think it's also probably great for the art that you feel that way, you know? Yeah. With that's the, bad for the, the artist, good for the art. That, the lo- that loneliness, that inability to really share that inner solitude with people. I think if people. you could connect, you'd be a cheerleader <laughs> right. and you'd get those things from right. that. You wouldn't need. Mm-hmm. Because I think, uh, I think uh, art, great art does come from needing to say something. Yeah. And uh, I'd, I don't like to think it comes from sorrow or the blues or trouble but it does come from needing to say something that if that you can't say in any other way so you get good at saying it this way right right between you and a piece of paper mm-hmm. it's not between you and the reader it's between you and a piece of paper yeah. so it, it, later it's corrupted because if you do it for a living you know somebody's <laughs> going to be reading it eventually <laughs> that's, true. And that's the challenge is trying to keep it between you and the piece mm-hmm. of paper yeah so in those years post, let's say, so it was what, 2003, it was after Ghosty Head album uh-huh. that you sort of felt this block and you weren't writing and sort of, you know, retreated a little bit. Was that, was the block due to sort of not having a stimulation or something to, to say or was it, what, what, how did you feel about that? It's probably all that, time, you know, right? if there's nobody to say it to because it's a business, right? And I don't know how it corrupts it, but if there's nobody that's going to listen to it, it stops talking. It stops talking. What do I have to say? I don't matter. Why should I? I can't get any money. Da, 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 da. I, I'm guessing because I'm a long ways from that now, but I would say it's all those reasons. It's okay to not have anything to say. You know, It's okay to sit on the egg. And wait for it to get big and fat and ready to talk. Um, and so for some time I felt like, a, you know, it was a desert. It was a desert. But also personal things happened where just my life was requiring my attention. Other things. You know, this stuff takes all your attention. And I don't think you can do, really, I don't think you can be a really good parent and be a really good artist and be out on the road mm-hmm. and doing all that and you can't do them both well yeah um i used to take my daughter with me on the bus and bring all her toys and the thing and make a room for her in the back of the bus and that was okay she was an infant mm-hmm. but still she's in jeopardy she's in danger there's a lot of strangers coming in mm-hmm. and out who knows what can happen when i'm not looking the safest place for her to be is at home with with her family so it's a better time now. She's pretty grown up. <laughs> and so I can come out and, and work again. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, I feel pretty good about, you know, I feel good about my life. I, I did those things. 
I don't feel disconnected from it. I don't feel sorry for myself. I feel really good about the fact that I'm, you know, I feel good about being me. I feel good about <laughs> the fact that I'm at ease with my age, who I am on stage, that this is a continuation of a career. These are all, and and all that is there on stage when people watch me. I think it's really important because as women get older, they either have to imitate who they were, they try to look really young, and I'm not, you know, that's okay to try to look really young, but the more you do that, the more disgraceful it is for us to age because we're mm -hmm. all getting, well, well, I was saying earlier this morning, I don't ever think about my age until somebody looks at me and says, oh, are you? And I'd be like, wow, I must look really old. Because they'll go, I saw Ricky Lee Jones. Ah, you're looking at it right now. So, or all those other things that happen that make people go, I see you. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ricky Lee Jones is young, but also me as a human being. I, I don't see you as a, a middle-aged woman where... You know, if there's a line, mm -hmm. sometimes they just talk to the guy in back. I mean, they just don't even see me. Wow, that's amazing. Like, because we're not fuckable, you just don't see us anymore. So how do we start this new age where we teach each other just because I'm no longer fuckable, I'm still an interesting person. This isn't a pleading thing. This is the truth. Right. I've, I've assimilated a lot of language, <laughs> you know. And I try to remember years when every single person I met, I assessed them for sex. Do you want to fuck him? And he's probably <laughs> doing that with me, right? Yeah. So now these years, that's not what I'm doing anymore. So, and and a bunch of us, the, when we get so, so is it, is it like a divide of age where, you know, should we go live in old people land and they go live in young people, teen land, old people? There must be a way we can all talk to each other. And teenagers have as much wisdom and import as a 60-year-old. We all treat each other with respect. The only person who matters is not a 40-year-old white guy, right? right? We all have a voice in the choir. Yeah. And it's a cool time to be get to still be part of teaching people how it's done, mm -hmm. you know, just by the single life that right. we live. Doing it by example. Yeah. Like, look at me. I can right. still make a great album right. and perform and entertain and teach you. Right. And yeah. at the end of the film, you say you're working on more. I mean, this is now, you feel like this is a second beginning almost yeah they say is that is this your last kick at the can and you're like no <laughs> no <laughs> i uh you know there's this music that singer songwriters are never a, a part of it's kind of maybe uh i used to call it euro trash dance music but <laughs> it's not it's just uh you know when i did ghosty head and i got some flack for using uh samples and spinner and stuff like that mm -hmm. There's this music coming out of Europe. It's very fat, very big. It's rhythm-based, but it's also beautiful. They have really beautiful sounds, and uh, I'm thinking of placing myself in that kind of an environment. That's probably going to bother a lot wow. of people, but I really like what I hear. Do you know this girl, Edie Golding? Goulding? Yeah, Ellie Golding. Ellie Golding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I heard a song on uh, Divergent or something, 
And I'd heard other things like that, but I went and explored. I went, I, I really like this stuff. You know, I like the beautiful, you know, use of sound and rhythm. And I'd like to see if I could, you know. So I mentioned that, and an engineer took one of my ideas home, and he put it together and came back, and it was so beautiful to me. So I played it for five people, and every one of them just was like blank. <laughs> Because it was so surprising from you? I just don't. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I said, the verse isn't done, but listen to the chorus. It's so beautiful. <laughs> no. Ah, no, there's not, no reaction whatsoever. So um, I'm not sure what will happen. Uh, maybe people just, the people I play it for, it's not their cup of mm -hmm. tea, you know, so they don't hear it. One person said, that's kind of like movie music. Mm. Well, that's interesting. I guess it's kind of <laughs> yeah. like movie music. I did hear it in a movie. It was like, <laughs> there you go. Um, so we'll see. But I know I want to keep doing for myself, because so, I get bored and have an active mind. So try to keep doing new things. It was also very interesting to hear you describe at the very end. I loved this little, the little tag at the end with the credits. And you're describing... You know, making this, writing these songs, and you say, like, you know, I haven't written a song in seven years. Don't tell anybody. And you say, well, I've written songs. You know, I, I can write a song. That's not a thing. I can write a song. The, the trick is to write a record. Yes. And that there's a, there's a difference or there's a distinction between when you create something, you say, this is a cool song. All right. Mm -hmm. And versus like, this is a cohesive, I'm telling a story. Or I, what does it mean to you right. to, to create a record? I mean, it doesn't have to all be about the same theme or about, or even the same vibe necessarily. But what is it for you? I think the egg thing was a good, was a good mm. uh, symbol because it is like the completion of a time and the beginning of a new. They always signal the end of something. Mm -hmm. I write a record when I'm ready to be done with the past and uh, I never thought of that before because it seems more like a welcoming to a new, but no, it is the finishing of an of a old. That would be great to make a record as the welcoming of a new, and mm -hmm. I haven't done that in quite a, time, quite a long time. And I think the, the finishing of an old might have to do with the pressure to make a record. Yeah. So I never get to do it as a... You know, with some kind of ease where I have enough money and I can ruminate and make up something beautiful. The pressure is on and I got to go, okay. And then so the only thing to address is what was and to, and to write it oh, down. That makes yeah. me think of the transition from Ricky Lee Jones into Pirates because it came, Ricky Lee Jones in 1979 and then Pirates in 81, uh -huh. which was one of your, you know, one of the best. And you said one of the best breakup, breakup albums, albums of all time. You know, but I wonder how much... But it was a breakup album for you, too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, how, okay. <laughs> how much pressure there was on you after this big explosion and huge success, did, was that like, oh, my God, how am I going to do this again? Or was it the opposite and it just, like, spurred you on or you had this emotional heartbreak experience that led it? What? How was that transition? I think there was as much pressure as I decided there was. I mean... As I wanted to let in, mm -hmm. because I did have a sense of power and control, and um, with the success of the first record, which I liked, but it was a record that I had my whole life to write. Right, every song I how had. Long, how how many years did you write it? Three years. <laughs> well, I, you know, some of the songs were a couple years old. But even if I only wrote them two years before, I'd had my whole life to consider them. Yeah. Um, so take me back to the question now. So um, just, just was there, like, how did you pressure avoid the because of the slump? success? <laughs> right, right. Yes. After yeah. such a, a high so note to start with. So I was aware of that with. term, right. the sophomore slump. And I'm aware that most people, and I don't know why I always see men when I say this, but most people are waiting for a record that falls, right? Especially because you're so high from right. the debut. Yeah, Let's prove it was a fluke. <laughs> so <laughs> I started writing We Belong Together and Pirates simultaneously in around October, November 1979. And um, I can't tell at what point because it, because I probably knew then, but right away I knew that I was going to be writing stories. 
one thing was I was on piano instead of guitar. Mm-hmm. I'd always wanted to play piano, and I'd, I'd taken a college, you know, piano class for a semester, and so the the music that comes out of me on the piano is very different than the guitar. Okay. You know? And how would um, you describe that? Yeah, well, the the piano has all these thick you know, chordal things you can do that evoke an emotional thing. Whereas for me, guitar is more just as happier and it's more percussive. Yeah. I'm also much more limited on the guitar, whereas I can go all kinds of places here. Neither are particularly ever fast music. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever study guitar formally or no? No. So, um, so then, uh, I, so I think that's it. I I was aware of stories starting to develop, and somewhere in the back of my mind, I knew that if I went in this direction, it was the only way I was going to save my career. Mm. If I did not try in any way to duplicate anything I'd done, uh, and, and it just happened naturally, but I was aware that it was the right way to go. And um, and again, that sense of power, you know, I think that's so important to feel powerful and be respected enough that whatever decision you make, somebody's going to go along with it, that right. you're not going to meet, God forgive me, Clive Davis at the end of it, who says it's not happening. You're going to do it our way. So from the very beginning, I had people interested in how what I wanted to say, mm-hmm. not what they wanted me to say. And because I had that support. I was able to go where I wanted to go with my imagination. And I, I, I know now I was tough on them for, for a variety of reasons, just coming in really late, hours late to a, to a recording session and things that I did that a lot of was young that part of the fame? people do. <laughs> I think it's part of fright. I think yeah. it's showing up late to a show is part of fright. Mm-hmm. It seems like disrespect, but it's not. It's a way of wrangling stage fright. Yeah. Uh, and I think um, showing up late to a gig, to a recording session is like, well, if they call it for six, yeah, go ahead and call it for six, but I'm coming. <laughs> and I don't think that when they say it, I think I'm going to show up on time, but something in my mind says, you go in at the moment you are ready to go in to do your work. Right. And, it, and it's... I'm not like you, you know, and it uh-huh. might not be at six o'clock. It might be at 10. And that's now I understand an artist, you know, because I just thought, well, you're indulging yourself. But it's not. An artist is an artist. And it is about inspiration. It's about that magical thing of it coming. And it might not come when you say I should show up and right. do it. It might not. Yeah. So also I was taking a lot of drugs. Yeah. I mean, I, I was going to ask, at what point did that take a hairy turn into yeah, addiction? Turn. Yeah. Yeah. I Just mean, about simultaneously, I would yeah. say. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. the Garden of Eden was the little snake. Right. Uh, so, you know, around the, shortly after the first group of songs were written for pirates, mm-hmm. my addiction you know, flared up yeah. pretty powerfully. And um, and during the making of Pirates, it was lucky I showed up at all. Yeah. And it took some months after Pirates was released for, before I quit drugs. But by the time I was on tour, I didn't take drugs anymore. I was drinking instead. Okay. And uh, that was probably more, what would, what would be the word? Uh, Obvious, you know, right? I right. Think drug addicts can that. sneak yeah. in, and you yeah. don't really notice it. But alcoholics, not so much. Yeah. But that was, I mean, that wasn't. So I feel like it would be more uncommon now to to sort of experience that. I mean, maybe I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think that was that was. Yeah. How things were a but little bit more then. But did you have to go into the that, program, or how did you? Kick there that? were no programs back then. Yeah. I, I got off drugs by myself. Yeah. It was always my feeling. I, I, I don't know if that was a self-punishment, but you went in by yourself, you're coming out by yourself. Right. But I also knew that I would never want to share anything about it with anybody. Mm-hmm. Fame, partially. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just, it just wasn't my way. Yeah. You know? Even in your close relationships, you were Didn't have keeping any. that. Yeah, well, <laughs> that happens. Didn't have any. Yeah. And I remember later telling my mother, mother, I, I either, I don't know if I said I was or I am a heroin addict. She said, you are not. Wow. Oh, wow. You are not. 
And I thought, I like what you're saying because <laughs> because you're saying that's not your identity. Right. It's just a thing you're doing. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in our family, there had been serious alcoholism and stuff. So her denial of my problem was a way to say, it's just a thing you're doing or you did and you'll leave it behind it. She was totally right. Right. But also the denial is yeah. everybody did. Nobody ever said, wow, Ricky, you're really high. You need right. They let me, you know. Be the and wild it's not child. Their, yeah, it's not their responsibility. Yeah. But I went in pretty deep yeah. before anybody went, you need help. Right. And by the time they said you need help, stuff <laughs> lucky I survived. Right. Know? But I feel like, from what I know, it was a relatively brief amount of time that it was very it bad. It was pretty, but right? it, unfortunately, it was in the the in peak the of the time. pirates. So there's that thing as well. Is she only good on drugs? Oh, boy. I heard that echoed in the invisible world. Uh-huh. And... Um, and then also because, you know, I was always forthright in discussing it, I still read goofy people on the Internet say, you know, she's been a drug addict all her life. And I'm like, what, the, what are you talking about? Like, don't you read? Or you've just decided you'll make it up yourself based on yeah, what that's you what think they it was. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like, uh, and and it's okay. It, it's an in, interesting thing. I don't know if it's just for women or if it's for all addicts, but there's this shame that goes along for me with the addiction that, see, I can hardly breathe, with the addiction that um, has taken a lifetime to overcome. Is yeah. it the shame that I, did I, did I drop the ball? I think it's associated with women on yeah. drugs because you don't see oh, it for with sure. any of the guys. Mm. It's okay with all the guys. They're, but the women, it's like yeah. we, you know, we yeah. you know, no longer the Virgin Mary. We're no longer. Right, exactly. And that's been hard. You know, it, recently, you know, you read a lot of good literature that says it's a disease, but nobody's treating us like it's a disease. They're treating us like it's it was moral a choice. decrepitude. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You made that decision. Well, I either made the decision or I have a disease. I think it's both. <laughs> But, but, you know, I couldn't make the decision if I didn't have the disease. I wouldn't have the disease if I made Which one is it? Right? Yeah, yeah. So um, the, the jury seems to still be out on women addicts, right? That's very true. Mm. So, yeah, it was about two, three years. Yeah. And, uh, but you made some damn good albums after magazine. that. So yeah. I think you just proved that theory. Yeah, well, <laughs> You know, and yeah. it's all a reaction because I think the magazine was me going, I'm straight now. God right. damn it. Look at my hair. I got my hair. <laughs> I'm not yelling at people anymore. Come on. And I stopped wearing the, you know, my beautiful gloves and hat. And and uh, and I kind of wrote a play. The magazine was uh-huh. was kind of a play. Um, Must so, be loves on that album, right? Yeah. And that, that then song, I went away after that. I just went, it's, it's too that's hard That's why you took me. a, Yeah. Must Be Love is the song that's in Frankie and Johnny, right? Yes, it okay. is. <laughs> so good. I love that movie, and that song is so perfect. Like, in the, in the documentary, when your, doc, when your daughter's talking about Jerry Maguire and hearing horses, and yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that, for me, reminded me of when I was watching Frankie and Johnny, and I was like, that's Frankie love Johnny. it when that he so sings good. it in the morning. Yes, <laughs> I know. It's eggs. not just on the soundtrack. It's in the story. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's great. <laughs> was that a totally decisive, you're like, I'm retreating now? That yeah. was very deliberate, like yeah, or very yeah. Um, conscious. Yeah, yeah. I had done this the magazine as it was kind of a play. It had three scenes in it, and some of it was very dramatic. And we were dancing. We wore our microphones with some dance steps. It was probably everything I'd always wanted to do. <laughs> but the and I'd never had a manager, so now I had a manager because Bob Regeer was sick and dying, and mm-hmm. they booked me in traditional venues like. Um, the amphitheater in LA and it was not the place to be I needed to be in theaters I tried to explain this and so I get out there performing this and you know I was sensitive it's true but I get out there performing this play and somebody would yell Chalky's in love or my funny Valentine or something and um and sometimes they didn't. Sometimes it was great. But in yeah. L.A. they did. And yeah. I just, in L.A., I, I kind of lost my temper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not a good town to lose your temper. And, and, um, 
And after that show, after I tried to do the thing, and I lost my friend, three newspapers wrote about the show the next day. It was like big news. And I, after that, I went. I think I'm. I think I'm done. And went to France. First, I went to Tahiti, uh-huh. and then I went to France, and I didn't on, stay away on purpose for years. It's just that years went by, as yeah. it turned out. And um, but you still made like flying cowboys and. Not till I get that. back. Not till I got back. I was. Uh, I started writing some of Flying Cowboys in France mm-hmm. just before we came back. But I got pregnant and went. All right, that's enough of this. And I came back to America. And then we did. Then we did Flying Cowboys in yeah. eighty-eight, eighty-nine, eighty-nine. How good did it feel for you to unshackle yourself from Los Angeles? Yeah. Was that? Good? It's hard to say because. Again, everything is just a series of events, one after the other. Yeah. And uh, if you have the blues, you take the blues with you when you go. Right. You know, when I went to France, my father died a couple of right. months later. And uh, so, you know. Oh, but I actually meant this recent time of moving oh. to New Orleans. So say that again. I was referring to moving to New Orleans from oh. L.A. That's where you were before, right? Right. I yeah. thought you said France, but you meant New Orleans. Los Angeles, unshackle yourself from Los Angeles, moving to New Orleans, yeah. Did you say New Orleans? I didn't hear that. Because we were back at the magazine. Yeah. Okay, Sorry. so I was how good did that feel good? You just mentioned yeah. Los Angeles, and it reminded yeah. me that you don't live there anymore. Yeah, yeah, that felt really good. It must be pretty wild to sort of be focusing on a, an autobiography as well and sort of piecing these parts of your life together and reflecting on them in this new it way is. now. And also as writing, because I like to tell a story, but writing a story is a totally different thing. And I like to write. I'm good at writing my thoughts for a page or two, but to write a story about myself is something else entirely. Because the narrative voice, for me, um, is uh, effusive and beautiful when I can make everything up. And if I have to talk about me, I start writing like a 14-year-old in her diary. And then we went there, and we Mm. sat there, and then we did that. And I've read a lot of auto—I haven't read, but I've read portions of autobiographies, and they always sound like that. They're not very good writing. Mm -hmm. And not only are they not good writing, but— there are things that the person, the artist thinks are important that aren't particularly important to me. So people skip a lot of pages. So I thought, yeah. I want to write a story that's more like the spirit of my life, not just nice. what happened in my life. It's taken me about a year to find ways to evoke the spirit of my life, um, but I think I'm I'm getting there. It was more of a challenge than I thought because I thought yeah. oh, I'm a pretty good writer. I got a lot of stories. Yeah, sure, I'll do it. And when I went to do it, I went, wow, there's a lot of bad writing and a lot of stuff that you know. When I thought about it, that's a good story. But when I wrote it, I thought I don't want people to know that forever. Yeah, you know, deciding yeah. what to tell them. Sort of thinking about that in a sort of from an artist perspective, a filmmaker, an author, a way of framing your life. Um, one question I had was about um, you mentioned your parents, your father. Uh, you said had the philosophy that music was like a moral. A, um, what did he say? Uh, like a a high morally high, you know, noble thing to yes, be engaged yes. in. Uh-huh. And I'm just I'm just curious. You're like a very sort of floaty way of thinking about your relationship with music because it's always been in you it seems and and your grandfather was involved in music and your father and jazz has always been a part of you but how do you perceive just your relationship to music you're such a musician i just want to quote um ben harper from the la times you mentioned a a sort of harsher note from the la times (laughs) earlier but i want to say a, a nice thing um Ben Harper says, working with Ricky is like working with Ella Fitzgerald or Billie Holiday. You have to understand that they don't need you. She could play a rhythm track on her knees, a melody on some pots and pans, and the next thing you know, it's the coolest thing you've ever heard. Where does that come from? How do you learn that? Or or not learn that, but where in you is that magic? Yeah, well, uh, Mike Dillon, who I'm playing with now, he keeps saying, Ricky, you're a natural musician. So I guess musicians have gone to school 
separate school from natural, and they think natural is, and not to say that schooled aren't all, all, but a natural musician just simply has music coming out of them all the time. I could probably talk about the way that we're talking to each other and make music out of everything, because it's always there. Right, it's always there. So whatever you're doing, you can make bloop, 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 bloop. It's always, it's always, it's just, it's just who I am, you yeah. know. Just and waiting to be that. tapped into. And your voice, did you all, when did you say, oh, I have a cool voice? <laughs> you know, I don't I think I ever voice. said that. I, I never said I no? had a cool voice. I, ha- I loved singing. Yeah. I loved singing. And when I first heard myself record, you know, my dad recorded me when I was little. That was exciting to do harmony. But when I first heard me at 16, I was so disappointed. I was so disappointed because what you hear in the skull is not what's coming out, what other people hear. And I was sounded so much younger than I thought. I sounded like Michael Jackson. I had no vibrato. This was a time when everybody wanted to sound like Janis Joplin. And the thickness and resonance, <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't have any of that. I had the total opposite voice. So it took a long time. And even making, now I like me. Now I like me. Yeah, but it's like taken you. my whole life to listen to my voice. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that feeds into something you say in the movie, but, you know, why does it take you a whole lifetime to understand that you're fine just the way you are? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Well, maybe you wouldn't stick around if that if you didn't get that part at the end. I like that. You're constantly trying to improve yourself, and that's why mm-hmm. you last. Yeah. That's a nice notion. Yeah. Uh, how come the new album isn't on Spotify? They don't pay enough. There you go. Yeah. They pay, you know, everybody's paying so much less than what we got from the record company, which wasn't very much. Yeah. And Spotify is, it's just, you know, kind of disgrace. I know it's a changing time where probably they're not even going to pay publishers at all soon enough. But um, it's just, it's just wrong. Yeah. I thought... I probably don't have a lot of teen fans or the younger, (laughs) (laughs) the younger groups. So it's not like I'm missing a whole bunch of people. And if I set the precedent for my work by doing that, it would just be wrong. That was how I felt. uh, The people helping me with the record disagreed, but Mm -hmm. it was my call. Yeah, because you produced this one yourself. Yeah, yeah. Purely to play devil's. Well, no, I didn't produce it. I it's my record. It's your label. It's your label. Right. Sorry. I don't think I produced it. Um, yeah. It was, I'll just say, a real delight to be able to jump around and explore basically all your albums on Spotify. So that's that is a nice thing. I totally understand and appreciate what you're saying, but I I had a, a nice. Um, are they on Spotify? Mm-hmm. They are. The other ones are, yeah. <laughs> but it's great. Uh, I, I was able Spotify's to. Spotify's really... gonna kill us. She didn't know. <laughs> Uh, um, okay, but that's so the where album, all that money that, went. <laughs> but the new album exists in a physical form that can be purchased or yeah, downloaded. that's kind of silly. If the rest of them are there, it may as well. Be. No, but the new no, one, no, is, no, because I understand that. I mean, the new one is something that you're promoting now and is is out now for people yeah. to. It's, but to be honest, Spotify, they're little like, if you don't give it to us now, we'll never put it up. They're not the nicest people. They're not like, okay, well, let mm-hmm. us know when you want to do this. Like, it's like uh, now or never. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but why? <laughs> what do you care? <laughs> Come right. on, man. Yeah. No, do it on your own terms. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Um, so you're touring around and promoting. Touring all yeah. The time. Is it fun to be touring again? Is it? Exhausting. How it's you fun feeling to right perform. Now? Yeah, most times. Yeah, because it's magic. You know, you're working with magical things, people's feelings. Touring though gets a little exhausting. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. hard. That's an you important know, distinction. Hotel rooms and they yeah. smell. And <laughs> them. Totally. Oh. In and out. In and out. In and out. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have your room ready. Those guys got in at ten o'clock. They had to wait. I got in at playing at two they still don't have the rooms ready and then we got to leave at three to go to the sound check so some days are like that yeah yeah i still i wouldn't i wouldn't want any other job but sometimes yeah i have to say i mean you know things are very different now the way that publicity works and marketing and all of those things but 
you were on the cover in 1979 and here you are still. I mean, who knows That's what right. if people who are now, you know, hit it big overnight. We have no idea how what kind of lasting power that will have. And, you know, when I was a kid, I said, I want to still be doing this when, when I'm old. I, I thought I'd have better numbers. You know, I said, I always want to be able to play to 3000 seats and uh, I'm not playing to 3000 seats, but it's a, you know, economically things happened. It's a very different world. And I, it is amazing that I've been able, because I haven't had any meaningful impact. You know, I haven't had a video or anything to let people know that I'm out there. They have to hear I'm there and then mm-hmm. they come and find me. Mm-hmm. And that they still do it is pretty wonderful, you know. Yeah. People but it's not like I'm on hear, TV or something. But when people do hear that you're playing, it's very exciting. Everyone that I've t- talked to about it, it means something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you guys uh, know about my career oh. and my work. <laughs> <laughs> We've been fans. Uh, yeah. Well, this was amazing. And thank you. Wow. The Other Side of Desire. Go listen to it. It's gorgeous. Buy the album. Buy the album. Find And don't buy it on Find Spotify. it on tour. <laughs> <laughs> Can, Can people watch the film? <laughs> They can. I think it's on Amazon. Okay. They were trying to get people to go rate it, and it's got a lot of great ratings, but I guess not enough people to get it any major, um, you know, where you see it when you sign on to Amazon or something. Mm -hmm. But you can see it now, I think, on Amazon. Great. Yeah. It's lovely. Mm -hmm. You're wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. A million times. Thank you. Thank Thank you, you, women. I know you come yet to this bar. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.